Hi, and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it free at logrocket.com today. I'm Tejas Kumar, and today we have David Korshid, a dear friend of mine. We've had the privilege of speaking together at multiple conferences, um, but today David's here to talk to us about his talk, Use What? from this year's React Rally conference. I indeed had the privilege of watching this talk, and it was one of the best talks there. But today we're going to dive into Use What? We're going to talk about React. We're going to talk about Use Effect and Use Memo and all of the details in between. And with that, I'm so excited. David, welcome. Thanks for having me, and great talking to you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always a pleasure. You're one of my favorite people to talk to all the time. Unfortunately, on a podcast, I can't be as ridiculous as I am in person. <laughs> but, yeah. But we'll make the most of it. David, let's talk about use what. The, the talk was a big troll, if, if you don't mind me saying, and the name gives it away. Could you dive into just even the term use what? Where does it come from? What inspired that? Back in, I, I want to say 2012, or it, it was just many years back, there was a talk by Gary Bernard's, it was a lightning talk called What. I think it was just called What. And the purpose of that talk was basically to showcase how JavaScript is a little bit ridiculous at times. It was doing that classic, hey, if you add two decimals, guess what happens? And if you add not a numbers, a lot of times you get na 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 Batman or just silly things like that. And it was accompanied by Watts images, which, you know, I, I didn't want to include too many of those just because I don't like using too many memes in my presentation. But I felt like React was way overdue for a similar talk. And I just wanted to have a, a humorous talk about just how weird Reacts could be. But my main point in the talk wasn't to poke fun at React and say, oh yeah, this is how silly this framework is, but mainly to say, hey, all frameworks at the end of the day have their idiosyncrasies. They're a little bit weird, but we work through them and we could still be super productive with them. And we, we just have to realize that this is the reality of the programming language we're working in, the environments that we're working in. We have to deal with some weird stuff and it's just fun to, to see how weird things can really get when working with React or any framework for that matter. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Do you mind sharing again the name of the author or the speaker for the, the previous talk that inspired this? Sure, and I hope this is right. It's Gary Bernard's. Bernard's. Okay, we'll have to put a link to that in the show note captions and I have to watch that because I think conferences need more content like that. I, I feel like sometimes we take ourselves way too seriously talking about use client and use server and server. Like the latest thing is server actions and oh my gosh, we're back to PHP and, and all of this. But if we zoom out of the jokes and the memes, what we're ultimately doing is building web experiences that are fast and that service a great amount of people, right? And And I think it's work that yes, we should take seriously, but I think when we take it too seriously, we lose sight of the real beauty of, of the things we enable. Like, for, for example, like I, I book a lot of travel and most airline booking systems suck. They just really do. They're not accessible. They take a long time to load. And for those of us who use things like React and server actions, whatever it may be, I, I like to think we're, we're creating a, a better world. And I, we sometimes need that fun is what I'm trying to say. I'm curious, you've been somewhat critical of React on, on social media. One, I think that's positive and that it, it helps us think and, and improve the library. Not me, but I, I feel like the community. How do you actually feel about React? So I feel if we were to compare framework versus framework or language versus language, is React the fastest framework? No, absolutely not. And I even joke in my presentation that React's not even the fastest React framework. <laughs> it's, it's not reactive. Is it the easiest framework to learn? I would also say probably no. Like there's easier frameworks to learn, but what React really excels at is just 
getting things done. You have a huge ecosystem and a huge community. And sure, that ecosystem can include lots of packages that are poorly maintained or do things in a sort of funny way. But the point is that if you need to get something done, you can basically throw a stick and hit someone who knows React, especially in the community. And there's going to be someone or more like thousands of people who have run into your exact same problem or use case. And you're able to use that knowledge and just build whatever you want. So I would say that's why React is basically my favorite framework for just getting things done. And we could talk all day about, oh, how about the performance optimizing for that, the bundle size, et cetera. But at the end of the day, your job as a developer is to get things out to users and make things valuable for them. React is great at that. We use React. We use Next.js. I live, eat, and breathe React every single day. You know, what's really interesting is React is just wildly popular, despite the fact that it is the, not even the fastest React framework, as, as you put it. But Every single time I post on social media about React, I, I just get a much larger response than if I just do like JavaScript. And it's not just that. Like I know a bunch of conference organizers and when they organize JavaScript Belgium, it gets a third of the response as React Belgium. Like you just slap React on something and it just takes off. I don't know why. Some conspiracy theorists tell me that it's because Meta like biased the social curve towards React. I don't know. But you mentioned a number of hooks in your talk. In fact, I, I believe one, in one of the slides, you went off screen because there were so many. Let's talk about those because I feel, first of all, do we know off the top of our head, I mean, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, feel free to not answer, how many hooks there are out of React at, at the current time? I believe it's about uh, 20. And the only reason I know that, I, I don't know if that's the exact number, but the only reason I know that's an approximate number is I recently made a meme where I had to put a bunch of hooks and rank, rank them. And of course, I ranked use imperative handle as the best hook ever. Okay, let's get into that. What makes it so good? <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I've actually almost never used impaired. I use imperative handle, but it just seems like a really safe escape hatch for working with working with refs. But of course, it's one of those hooks where you're absolutely never going to need it unless you're a framework author. So the joke is that it's really not a useful hook at all unless you really, really need it. But what does it do? So use imperative handle is a way of handling refs imperatively. Just <laughs> sounds like sort of a tautology, but it provides you an interface where it's like, hey, instead of me giving you the raw ref, I'm just going to give you these methods that you could work with. And so that's what you get. That's your interface. I'm going to protect the rest of my inner workings of my components. And that's what you could do. Like you can make a, a ref where it's like, yeah, you could play and pause. And if you want to provide that to anyone asking for the ref, then you use imperative handle. Again, I might be getting a couple of these things wrong because it's been such a long time since I read the docs on it. But yeah, I, I recently dove into use insertion effect, which I think is pretty cool because it's I, I think the, the biggest cases for CSS and JS style of insertion of style tags where you do it in a safer and arguably more performant way. Can we talk about your actual favorite hook, one that you feel like developers don't use enough that provides tremendous value? I have one. Uh, this is why I'm curious about yours. Uh, so I have two. But the one that I feel that developers should use a little bit more is use reducer. And that's because, like I joke about in the talk, people tend to go from use states to use eights, where they have eight or more use states all over the place. And all of it, it's like use states is really good for when you have one piece of data, it's living on its own. And that's the only thing you really want to manage, just a bit of information. But then 
if you have eight different pieces of data that are all related to each other and you find yourself having to orchestrate in the components event handlers, oh yeah, when this happens, then set the state of this and set the state of that. And if this is true and this is this value and set the state of something else, it's like you're really editing one object, but that object is being spread among so many different use states. So just use a reducer. People are scared of it because it introduces indirection. They're afraid of switch case statements. It's really not that bad. And honestly, you could use reducer very much like you use state. In fact, you could, because that second argument, the dispatch thing, that doesn't have to be an event. That could be a, hey, I just want to give you a partially updated object. And then you fill in the rest, maybe do some validation, maybe massage the data a little bit, whatever you want. So use reducer is actually a lot more flexible than people think. Would there be an intermediary step here that developers can benefit from where if you go from use eight use states instead of that from straight to a reducer, could you go from reducing, pun intended, your eight use states into use state of one object and then just update that object? Yeah, and I've seen that a lot where, you know, you could set the states and then have a function taken, what's my current state, and let's spread that and then add partially the next state. But at that point, uh, you're sort of reinventing use reducer or like what you would do in use reducer anyway. And you don't have safety because let's say that you have a thousand line component file and in one place you're like, okay, I know how to use my mega use states. I just get the current value, spread it on and then add my partial value. But then let's say another developer on your team comes on, goes way to the bottom of the finals. Hey, I really need to change this state. So they just completely wipe it away. And it's like, wait a minute, there's no safety guard that says you can only set the states to these constrained values. That's the benefit of use reducer. It gives you that layer of protection. Is there maybe a lint plugin or lint rule that will detect two or three subsequent use states and go like, yeah, you need to turn this into a reducer? That would be great. And now I really, you're nerd sniping me because I really want to make that. Uh, but I have no time to do that. I'll either make it and invite you as a collaborator or we can make it together or something. Because that Please do. Like it, there's even probably a fix flag where it will rewrite your use states to some type of reducer logic or something like yeah, that. Or use Copilot. Say, hey, combine my use states. If OpenAI is working, it was down today. It's a free open source project idea there. Okay, so you mentioned use reducer. Just because I did tease that I have a favorite hook. My favorite hook is by far use transition. I've been writing a chapter on concurrent React and like the idea that you could put anything in a transition and you could put literally anything in start transition, the most expensive state update in the world. And React will start rendering this thing somewhere off screen. And when it's finished, commit it. And in the meantime, you get it is pending. So you can like show a spinner. It's tremendous. It allows UI to feel so snappy in cases where it wouldn't. Interesting. All right. So at Stately AI, it's basically a large canvas-based tool for creating just state machine and state chart diagrams. And we have been running into people who have been making state machines with hundreds of states and transitions and things get slow. And so I remember a while back, I was asking Matush Andres online, I was saying, hey, all of these concurrent-ish features. I know they're not calling it concurrent mode anymore, but things like use transition, use deferred value, et cetera, et cetera. I was asking, would these things actually help? Because this is exactly our use case. Like some of the renders are expensive. And he said, for our cases, no, not really. So I gave up on that idea. But I, 
now that you mention it again, it might be something worth trying. Yeah, because you literally kick off a render somewhere off screen and show a loading indicator until that's done. And when it's done, it's committed. I, I know the code base for replay, the dev tools uses use transition heavily. And it does feel way more responsive than something as heavy as dev tools. We have to try it. Yeah. And then also um, use deferred value similar. It just state when it has a few cycles. Awesome. You you mentioned so many interesting things in your talk. I, I love your call out to Triangle Company. <laughs> and, and there were just so many funny pieces there. But I, I'd like to still maintain our focus on hooks because you were really critical about hooks in your presentation. What are some of the weird or confusing rules of hooks that you mentioned? And I'd, I'd love to maybe get the less condensed. I have 20 minutes for my talk presentation here, but Maybe talk about that in a bit more detail. You know, hooks, I feel like we're a somewhat natural or not natural, but more like a required evolution of function components where I remember just refactoring as many of my class components as I could to function components. But then once I needed state and stuff, I'm like, ah, I guess I'm back to classes. So hooks were a very much needed thing. But at the same time, when they were introduced, they were still a little weird. It's like React gave us a solution. And the fact that they gave us a solution was really good. But the fact that it was this solution, it was like, it's a little awkward, but it's still so much better than class components. We just went with it. And the way that hooks work, if you're not aware, I know that you're aware, you're a thousand percent aware, but people listening, if you're not aware, is like order matters. It's React is basically calling your components line by line. And you could think of every time they call a hook, it's like uh, you're pushing to an array like, hey, this is the state of this hook. And so that's why you can't do conditional hooks or anything like that. Because if if it goes out of order, it's like, hey, I don't know which hook I'm referring to in this call stack. So that is why React has the rule of hooks where it's, you can't call them conditionally. And there are some other things I completely forget. But that's one of the main things. And I noted in my presentation that React should not pose this as these are performance or these are coding best practices. Don't call your hooks conditionally. It's more, this is a constraint to the way that we built hooks. You can't call them conditionally. Now, if each hook required you to have a unique ID for each one that you specify, they could be called wherever the heck you want, as long as it's, oh yeah, so you can't call them asynchronously either. That's another one. But what this ends up doing really is coloring your, I don't know if you want to call them functions or components or things like that, where Hooks can call other hooks, which can call other hooks, but it still needs to, you can't do it asynchronously or conditionally, et cetera. So that is really nice, but it's not really useful outside of React. And so that's why one of my biggest criticisms of hooks is that hooks are very much a React thing and you can't easily combine it with, React doesn't really work naturally with just like an API that works outside of React. That sounds like a tautology, sort of brain farting here. But yeah, hooks are peculiar. They're awkward. Especially because I think you pointed out use context can be called conditionally. <laughs> it can. And that's because, just like I said, React is trying to figure out, okay, which place in this stack does this hook state belong to? But with context, live somewhere else. It, it already has a set place where that state lives. So it doesn't really need to refer to anywhere in the stack. So you could do that. That's probably better for a teaching perspective from the React team to just be like, yeah, no, nothing conditional, even though, yes, you can, but maybe you shouldn't. And I also experienced this with server components. I've spent the past couple of weeks deep in server components, server component world, and partially for the book I'm writing, but also I'm just interested in the stuff. And it's a different world, David, server components. For example, you can technically run hooks in server components, 
but the build tooling of various frameworks just prevent if they recognize a server component they will just fail the build if it has use anything in it. It's not even a hook. If you have a function starting with the word use and you call it in a server component, it will just fail the build, even though that's technically possible. And I'm sure they're trying to prevent a number of things like calling things out of order and so on, but it's just one of those things where you go like, why? You mentioned server components in your talk at React Rally, but then you conveniently ran out of time. (laughs) I'd love to get your take on that. And ideally, I'm sure it would be a service to me and all the listeners if that take is, is as hot as possible. Ooh, yeah, I, I don't know about hot. I have a lukewarm take. And that's like with server components and all of that, we're honestly, my my life right now is my startup stately.ai. And right now we're not using server components or anything like that. We're trying to stay off the cutting edge, bleeding edge, dull edge, whatever you want to consider it right now. And yeah, uh, server components seems like it would be really useful for uh, simplifying the backend for front end. However, with the examples I've seen, I know that popular example where it's like, oh, hey, you could just call a, an SQL query right in your components. It's like, you can, but you shouldn't. I understand why they're showing that, just to show you how the lines are blurred. It's a lot simpler to do things like that. But at the end of the day, you still have to follow programming best practices. That's why I think simple examples like that are terrible as like a, hey, here's how you should do things, but they're really good in a, here's how things conceptually work. And I really wish they made that difference a bit more clear. So I'm curious, because like I've seen a lot of people complain about that specific example. For those who haven't seen it, it's this code snippet from, let's just be honest about it, from Vercel, who's showing a server action that happens inside the body of a React component, where you insert, you do something with a database, calling a SQL tag template literal function, just passing in a SQL string with interpolation to it. I've seen a lot of criticisms around this because they go like, how can you just include a SQL string in a query? But it's not, right? It's a tag literal. And the assumption there is it's probably going to do some sanitization, some validation, et cetera. Um, But again, that may not be the case. It may not be doing that. We just have no idea of knowing. However, Vercel's Postgres package exposes that SQL string and it's open source and you can go see what it does exactly, which is safe things. So is the reason it gets all this pushback because it's teaching a pattern that could be abused easily? Is that why there's pushback? I'm curious what your take is. So from my perspective and from someone who's been working in open source for a while, there's always this dilemma of show the simplest example but just for them to understand, but hopefully not for developers to be like, oh, that's the way I should be doing things. And I experience this in XDate a lot where it's, oh, here's a simple example. And then people are like, oh, wow, that's so complicated. I'm like, yeah, that's because XDate's meant for more complicated things, but I'm not going to show you the more complicated thing. And so that's why I think that Vercel and the React team are really trying to do here is show, hey, here's a simple example of how you could interact with your server directly in your component. And I think as developers tend to do, they just zoom into that specific example and be like, oh, that is just asking for SQL injection and things like that. And I want developers to just imagine that that SQL statement was instead a big insert server call here. And instead of like just diving into that specific example and criticizing it, I think it was a fine example because it shows I could call my server from right here. But obviously, you probably will not make a direct SQL call there, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And it's, in many ways, it, it feels a bit like seeing a tree in a forest and like hyper-focusing on the tree when it's there's a beautiful forest. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So 
I'm curious, what is the overlap? You mentioned Stately a couple of times. I know Stately because of our friendship and I've seen the editor and it's a pretty complex piece of UI. I don't know how much of that is canvas-based versus not and what inspirations you take from things like TL Draw and Excalibur. It's probably a discussion for another podcast episode, but what is the overlap? I'm assuming a lot of the things from this talk came from experience, either from you or from other front-end engineers at Stately. Is there overlap? What does that look like? Oh, yeah. This is definitely the most complicated React app that I've ever worked on. And I feel like there's the best people to listen to when they talk about React are the people who are really deep in the trenches, people who have experienced just through pain and everything, tears, whether it's tears of joy or tears of sorrow, of working with React and all of its uh, nuances and just understanding from their perspective and from building complex applications, just what the weird parts are. And so with Stately, we have definitely experienced just so many things because like you said, it is a complex Canvas application. And by Canvas, we're actually using HTML and SVG, but there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that we have to subscribe to, a lot of things where it it basically goes into advanced React territory. Like we're listening for pointer events and just handling things that are beyond React's control. We have custom data structures that we have to listen to. And making that work within React neatly is really non-trivial. So trust me, like I, I, I think one of the latest things to happen on Twitter was people talking about use memo a lot. And it's, oh yeah, you shouldn't just throw use memo everywhere. In our case, it could be a special case. We have to use memo. It's like our app just completely grinds to a halt if we don't use memo in the correct places. For those listening, let's. I'd love to dive into that. What are the correct places? Because I do see code bases where people are using use memo for literally everything, including scalar values. Like they'll use memo on zero <laughs> or some value that isn't compared by reference. I'm curious if we could speak a little bit to that. Are, are you all having to do that at Stately as well? Or Yeah, yeah. And honestly, engineers, we love to complicate things way, way too much. And I think that the rule for like when you should use memo, it, it isn't even worthy of a blog post. It is step one, realize that part of your app is slow. Step two, add use memo to the parts where you either measure is expensive or you have a good feeling that this is expensive. Step three, observe. Is it faster? Yes, keep memo. No, get rid of it. You don't need it. That's it. Interesting. So it's a lot of playing by ear. Yeah. Just because too, I do not trust the React step tools, at least the, the official ones out. I know the replay team are actually working on really good React step tools, but with the current ones, it will say, hey, this re-rendered because hook 67 changed. And I'm like, I am not counting that. <laughs> That's so interesting. I've never heard this before. What I have heard is, you know, you, you memoize things that are compared by reference. What that means for those listening, if you're not um, a JavaScript aficionado is, objects, arrays, things like that, they're compared by their location in your computer's memory. They're not compared by their actual value, like strings, numbers, booleans, etc. And up until this discussion, honestly, I never saw a need to memoize primitive or scalar values that, that are compared by value. But what I'm hearing is there may be value there in some cases, and I'm interested in these cases. I'll give you an example, and we recently refactored this again, but When drawing edges, like edges are the lines between nodes in the canvas, they have to bend and they have to avoid certain things. So they're doing a lot of calculations just to find the best path. It's not just a simple line that we're drawing. And so obviously when you move things around the canvas, and this is something where use transition might be able to help a lot too, by the way, but every time you move something or change something, 
that has to get recalculated. So we realize that's actually a big performance bottleneck because these are non-trivial. It's basically doing a star search, complex algorithm, and it has to do it every single render. That gets really expensive. So we're like, okay, we need to optimize this somehow. And so use memo allows us to say, don't recalculate this value unless something significant has changed. For example, one of the nodes it's attached to has moved. Then you need to recalculate the path because before we were just recalculating every single path every single time. That's one of those places where we're like, all right, let's try it out. We tried it out and it made a huge difference. So we're like, okay, use memo is applicable in this use case. This may be getting a little bit too much into the weeds, but now I'm curious. Are you running that algorithm, this star algorithm, I believe you called it? Are you running that while the user is interacting with the UI? That is while the user is dragging an edge? Can a user drag an edge or are the edges automatically placed between nodes? So the edges are automatically placed. You could drag the label, which will change the edge, and you could drag each one of the nodes, which of course will also change the edge. But every single time you move it, it does need to recalculate it. Otherwise, it's just a weird user experience where the line isn't attached until you drop it. That's a little weird. So are, are the so I understand that if you're moving a node, the edges are changing in real time. They that, are. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's a series of high priority updates for React, and that just sounds really complicated because React will prioritize user interactions over non-user interaction. So if, for example, if you have a chat app and a message pops in, this isn't, you didn't do anything to prompt that. So React will deprioritize that compared to you typing on a keyboard. But in this case, you need to do a complex task while the user is interacting with the app, which means, yeah, good luck. I, I, I can't, is, is this open source? It is not. So I've been considering making it open source. I think it'd be really cool. Yeah, there's at least four more conference talks you could do based on all these things. Yeah, yeah. Have you felt the pain yet of React's course reactivity? There are a lot of gotchas where it's basically it comes down to why is this component re-rendering again? And even with class components, I remember we had this whole why did you re-render a library that told you, hey, this re-rendered multiple times. And then that sort of went away once everyone realized that things were rendering twice just because React felt re-rendering your component twice in strict mode. But yeah, I definitely feel the pain. There's a lot of things that we have to listen to, and it's very easy to accidentally just be listening for something that the component shouldn't really care about. Like something changes, and then it's like, all right, I guess I should re-render, but it's no, you shouldn't. And that's where I do see the benefits of having something like a signal-based system or use reactivity system for that. That's so fascinating. I'm particularly tickled by this because yesterday at exactly this time, or close to this time, I interviewed Attila Fasina for the PodRocket podcast. That episode will be dropping soonish. And it was all about Solid and all about the fine-grained reactivity system from Solid and how he feels it's superior to React. Not because of performance exclusively, but because it fits his mental model of what should update and when. And what I'm hearing from you is, well, yes, you feel similar. It's probably going to be a massive migration, but the quick library <laughs> has interop with React components and code bases. Do you think that may become some type of consideration for your editor if things continue to be slow and difficult? I think, and this is another mild criticism of React, based on everything we did, all of our optimizations, it's baked into React. And that's something that I'm very allergic to. I really like having logic that doesn't care where you're rendering. And to be fair, a lot of logic is like that. And we have done massive refactors so that one day if we say, hey, we want this to be standalone JavaScript or in a different framework, we could do that, maybe not easily, but a lot easier than we could have before. But 
yeah, if, if other frameworks enable this kind of performance, I will say on the record that I don't think that React is well suited for, for complex applications like this. I think it's just what we knew. But like for things like Canvas-based apps where you have so many things rendering and you have to have control and listen to things outside of React, uh, you're fighting against React at many points. And that's definitely the case with us. We found a new favorite React function, or at least I did. Of course, Matus knew about it for a while. Flush sync. And so that that also lets us escape outside, or not escape React, but just we could say, hey, just re-render this now. Like, don't wait for the next, you know, render cycle or whatever. Just do this now. So it's kind of a prompt to the scheduler, like, no, 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 this, this isn't deferred. Do it now. It simulates probably user input, which is the highest priority. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we've been doing that and just all sorts of little hacks to say, hey, React, we know what we're doing because we're in control of this external source that we have to subscribe to and we know when things need to change. So more and more of our logic has been just moving outside of React and hoping that React does the right thing and re-renders at the right time, et cetera. But yeah, I think for the vast majority of applications, React is great, but for our Canvas application, I don't. I honestly don't know what's better. Maybe something like Solid or something. Exactly. Something with fine-grained reactivity, probably. Interesting. There's, I, I feel like this gives you at Stately a unique and special position to be like some type of test bed for the new forget tool chain. Because use memo, use callback, they're going away. They're being deprecated in favor of this thing, which will just automatically memoize what should be memoized and really give you like fine-grained reactivity, which is what you're after. Yeah, I feel like there maybe needs some introductions to be made if they don't already exist between people to get you access to that. Because what we're hearing is it's currently in use and on, I believe, WhatsApp and Instagram, and it's exceeding everyone's expectations for performance. Yeah, honestly, that's the number one thing I'm excited about with React. Just the forgets to my compiler. Because you, you already have to do that compilation step with React anyway. So if React could just go above and beyond and get rid of the things that that components don't need and basically act as that reactivity system without having to have that runtime reactivity system for fine-grained updates, then that's magical. Yeah, exactly. Really In fact, so I got a hands-on tour of this from Satya, who works on this full-time. And it's very, very magical in that it, it exactly as you said, it, it, it removes the runtime reactivity cost by deferring it to the build time. However, I've also been talking to critics of this that they make the very accurate point that you still need to walk a tree of DOM of virtual DOM nodes to compare, regardless of whether it's memoized or not. So that walking of the tree still has a cost versus in a fine-grained system like Solid or something similar. You, you just never have to walk. Like, updates are disconnected from DOM, from VDOM and from real DOM. It's just like they're, they're not in the same world. And because of that, there is no walking of trees. And therefore, the argument, this is from Mishko Hevery from Quick, is that Signals are always faster than React, always, because you just never have to think about a tree of nodes. But we're digressing a little bit. Let's come back to your talk and talk about, you mentioned you should not have to lift state up as we were taught with React, but instead lift state out. As a person who just shows up every single time the word state is mentioned on social media, a, a, a dude with a state machine company, what does that mean? You shouldn't have to lift state up, but lift state out. Like, why? Um, so it's because React for the longest time has had this idea that your components tree is the same as your data flow tree, which is definitely just completely false. 
things can flow just many different ways. And the way that your components are structured should not be the same way that your data flow is structured. And that's why frameworks like Relay exist. And that's why React Query is doing a really great thing with caching. Actually, yeah, just to give you a really simple example, and by you, I mean the listeners. Uh, let's say that you have to fetch the same data, like the, the stock of an item in a shopping cart uh, in multiple places, both where the item is and also, right, you know, maybe you have a shopping cart thing on the side and you want to see the, like, how many is in stock over there too. So that, that might be a fetch call. But typically in React, the idiomatic way is like, okay, it's needed in this component, so you're going to fetch in this component. And so what ends up happening, you end up making two fetch calls because it's like at completely different parts of the tree. And so React solution is, oh yeah, lift state up. So basically find that common ancestor of the two, which might be some completely arbitrary component, by the way, and worst case scenario, it's the actual root of your entire app. And it's like, just do things there where it's completely unrelated to the components in question. Like I was saying, that's why React Query is good because it's like, hey, we realize this is the reality. People are going to fetch in components. So at least we'll do some caching so that they're not duplicating uh, requests and things like that. Uh, requests and things like that. And so my thinking is, and my position with state machines and all of that, and especially with my library X state, is that the reality is that your data requirements, like this core brain of here's the data that your app needs, here's how it's going to update, here's all the services involved, is actually pretty decoupled from your components tree. A lot of the time, not all of the time. I, I know there are some fraud apps where it's, no, this component definitely matches my data structure. Uh, but so by lifting state out, you're relying more on a subscription mechanism. And that's why I think the usync external store hook is so great because it allows you to do just that. Listen for some external source where it's like, hey, I'm in charge of the data and I'm in charge of the logic that has nothing to do with the UI but the UI can consume that and transform it and then display it as it's needed. And I like that in a lot of people who have been using XState or at least using libraries that are similar to XState also appreciate that because it makes it really simple to take that, test it in isolation, maybe use it in different components, refactor the way their UI is, or even take that and put it in a different framework if they need to do that. And I really, really, really love that flexibility. So that's why I'm in camps, lift your state out. I don't even know if that's a thing, but it's a step beyond lift your state up. I think there's so much value there because like you said, you can also then port your state to another framework. And I think the the real unsung hero here, and I say unsung because we haven't talked about it, is, is the testability of it all. You can literally test your entire machine, all the dispatches in isolation and reliably know that your app's going to follow. Do you think we've... Do you think use is a really pointed question, but I feel like I, I should ask it because I have opinions about it. Do you feel like use state just shouldn't exist? I think it has its place. It um like it should really be used data, I guess, where it's like, hey, I me the components, I'm in complete control of this data. Like when the user types in here, this is exactly the data. It could change at any time and there's no rules about it. But I really wish that first of all, I do think it just still exists. I just really think that or I really wish that developers realized that specific hook is really meant for unbounded data. So data that you completely accept, it could change at any time. There's no rules about it. As soon as you have any rules about that data, and by rules, I mean like, oh, this is a number that can't be more than 10, like just tiny rules like that, or this depends on another value, then maybe it should be something different, but not use state. 
interesting. It sounds like we're setting the stage for content around the various kinds of state, right? Because th- this advice to lift state up may have been an oversimplification. Looking back, and hindsight is always twenty twenty, so it's not critical of anyone's work. But if we look back ten years to when React was introduced, lift state up didn't really specify. Okay, but what state? And whose state? Because I fully agree with you. I think using use state's great for an isolated. There's a new state, but there's a new hook, by the way, that is coming to React soon. And fun fact is re- is exported from React DOM, not React, which I think is cool. But uh, React DOM is exporting use form status and use form state. And both of these... That's not confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Use form state is where you basically link an action and certain return values that the server action, it's use form state should really be use server action. And use form status is, okay, is my form pending submission? Is it, does it have a response? Is it errored, et cetera? So really use form status is supposed to be use form state and use form state is supposed to be use server action. That's my hot take, whatever. But the point I'm trying to make is, I think use state applies for, or should apply to state that is just very local. And the moment state starts to make it up or starts to make it out into other components, there's probably room there to reconsider, oh, maybe this should be part of my like X state store or my Redux toolkit store or something like that. And that education, David, hasn't happened. And maybe I'm thinking it should, starting with this podcast episode. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that I think I mentioned near the end of my talk with you sync external store, just because there is that missing part where it's let something else completely outside of React manage your store. And if you look in the newest React docs, you sync external store actually provides an example. And it's a like a little to-do app example where you could add a to-do, complete a to-do, remove a to-do. And they make that toy example. I'm like, that's it. Or that's almost it. React literally just gave an example of here's how to have states that's global or global-ish and not tied to your components. And you wonder why things like Redux Toolkit, Sustand, and maybe one day X8 are so popular. And it's because it is it is a common need in applications where it's like, listen, I am tired of having to juggle around my states and play Jenga. So you're basically playing Jenga with your states. You're like, let's move this up to the top. And um, it's, it's just annoying to do that when it's like, hey, let me just have this live in module scope and then read it from wherever. So much easier. Yeah. And what they don't tell you is you probably introduce prop drilling or unnecessary re-renders, right? When you lift state up like that. And and you think external store really is the solution to all of that. It's the solution to prop drilling because it's an external store and you get a snapshot, which is, I think, the second argument to the hook, which, yeah, that's the answer. So I think a, a big takeaway for a lot of people listening is rethink your state and perhaps, I don't know if you'd agree, and, and perhaps stop playing Jenga and consider use sync external store. Does that track? Yeah, yeah, that tracks. And um, if you have component state, use reducer is pretty great. I wonder what the connection between use reducer and use sync external store is. Because if you use sync external store, you probably have a, a large store where components can subscribe to a subset. Like this get snapshot function, the second argument to use sync external store is basically a selector, right? Or it could be. So then do you even need use reducer if you're using sync external store in that case? Is, are, are they not similar enough to where you could just use one over the other? So it, it depends. I would consider like the use case for using external store is the fact that it's not tied to any specific component. But if you do have component states, then yeah, I, I would just use reducer just because 
you already have that built-in subscription mechanism. But that's also interesting too, because you don't have a concept of a selector with use reducer. Once you use reducer, it's every single state change, you are guaranteed a re-render. And same thing with use states. Can we clarify for, for people listening what a selector is and why it's useful? I think there may be people listening going, what, what, what are you guys talking about? Oh, yeah, sorry. So a selector, it's a function where it selects a value. So let's say that you have a bunch of to-dos in a to-do store. You could use a selector and say, hey, I actually am just, I, I just want this one to-do. So you could be like snapshot.todos and then whatever the idea of the to-do is. Or you could filter them or you could just transform that data in any way you want. Can I ask a silly question on behalf of the listeners? I've seen some very large Redux state trees stores where it's a big object and each key represents a route and each value of that key represents like the state for that route, for that user. So in this case, would a selector then be like, okay, listen, I don't want this other route's state. I want my route's state. And not only that, I want my route state for this specific user. So a selector, it enables us to take a very large store maybe and just get a subset of the keys or rather subscribe to a subset of that large store object such that only when that subset changes our component re-renders. Is that close? Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's exactly it. And that's one of the main use cases for selectors. You don't want your component to re-render when anything else in the store changes. That was a big problem with Redux in the early days. So I'm glad they're really pushing selectors now. How is XState solving that problem? So we have a use selector hook. <laughs> and, and so that just takes, and it's actually really flexible. I really want to make it so that it's not tied to XState. And that's one of our big goals. But use selector takes something that you could subscribe to and a selector function. And that's pretty much it. And by something you could subscribe to, I mean something with a subscribe function. So you could even pass a Svelte store, whatever. You wouldn't use a Svelte store in React, but you get what I mean. Is it type safe such that I get the schema of the object in my second selector argument when I pass into the first? It is, it is. And you have a you have a third argument for the comparator where you could say, hey, I just want to like shallow compare this or I want to add a custom comparator or things like that. That's incredible. I, I didn't know that use reducer doesn't have selector functionality that you can maybe import from React. I'm curious, I wonder if React should maybe just export use selector also, or if use reducer, exp I don't know, whatever. But so that needs to be fixed, I feel like. Yeah. Um, we've got a few minutes left. I want to hear about Stately. I want to hear about what's on the roadmap. I want to hear about how React is either making that easier or harder. And I want to tie it all together to your talk and how it fits in. Can we do that? Yeah, real quick, Stately as Quartz, it's a state modeling platform. We make it really easy to model state machines and state charts and basically workflows in general. And you could take those visual models and you could export them as code or now as markdown tests, etc. We're announcing a few things next week where you could export a lot more things too. So that's pretty exciting. That's very ominous. What do you mean export <laughs> like React components or Redux toolkit stores or? Don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I will neither confirm nor deny that. But yeah, so, um, and at Stately, of course, we use React a lot. It's built on the open source project XState. And uh, XState has been in version 4 for a while. So if you don't know, XState is a library for making state machines, state charts, and working with the actor model in uh, JavaScript and TypeScript. And we're working on releasing XState version 5, which is much more focused on the actor model, which is... Uh, Really good for people who might be thinking, you know, I don't really need a state machine or I don't need to rearrange my state so that it's a state machine or a state machine is too complicated. Now you could use other types of logic too as the actor logic. And then 
you could do just like I said with you selector, just take it, take the actor, select any value from it, and it will automatically subscribe to uh, to those values. So the way React fits in is that when you have simple states, it's easy enough to use state, use reducer, even use libraries like Zustand or Redux, but for apps where you have a lot more complexity, and I'm saying things like multi-step forms or complex UIs or even Canvas-based apps like ours, there's a lot more states that you have to think about and a lot more complexity in your logic. And if you use simple tools, then it's going to just ironically blow in complexity. Like it's going to just become unmanageable. And so with the idea of state machines and state charts, you could really constrain that logic to certain states and events. And those are the only two things you really have to think about is I send something in events and I expect it to be in some state and maybe execute some side effects. So X8 has that notion of executing side effects too. So yeah, we're releasing X8 v5 soon and updating a lot of React examples because React is definitely our heaviest usage of that, but we do want to make it usable for the backend as well. And this sort of ties into my previous points about the idea of lifting your state out so that it could be used in multiple locations, tested, et cetera. It's not tied directly to your UI. And that's something we're doubling down on. That's amazing. Because it's not tied to your UI, do I understand correctly that you could even just use a an actor, I guess, in xState5 um, in like server components and share state between RSCs and client components that way? Or It is possible. It's something that I have to experiment with. But I think it would be a really cool example because people who work on, for example, Next.js apps or Remix apps, typically they're full stack developers because they have to deal with GraphQL, the database, et cetera. And uh, as part of the backend, you have to work with workflows too. You have to say like, hey, when the user uploads this file, I have to do these three steps and then notify the user, hey, it's done. Or maybe I have to send the user intermediate uh, notifications where it's like, hey, I finished this part of the thing. Now I'm doing this. Now I'm reticulating splines or whatever. And then finally, it just comes out the end and uh, you, you have your thing and you want the user to know every single step of that workflow. And so state machines are a great way to represent that workflow. And it's not something that has to live on the front end. So you're making me really want to just make an example with, you know, server actions or something where you can basically call a state machine in the back end in your next or remix app and uh, have it do whatever workflow you want. Interesting. Well, I'm very, very <laughs> eager to try that out. Listen, David, it's been such a pleasure. I, any opportunity to talk to you is a great one. And I'm, I'm going to miss you at React Day Berlin. Unfortunately, you're not going to be there in person, but I guess this should make up for it. Thank you so much. You've shared so much information. And we have poked fun at React, but we also appreciated a lot of the heavy lifting that it does. We've talked about our favorite hooks. We've talked about XState. I'm personally excited for XState 5 and the actor model. For me and everyone at the podcast, thank you so much for coming and sharing all this knowledge for me and the listeners. I, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. 